Welcome to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. This is the second series of the Become Inspired podcast, where our aim will remain much the same as the first, giving teachers, parents and students helpful hints and tips to live a fulfilled and meaningful life. We will be speaking to a range of guests from nutrition and psychology to people who are living extraordinary lives and have inspiring stories to share. Hello, Greg. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you doing, John? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Um, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, Yeah, I think you're, you know, perfect, perfect guest for us, really, uh, with what you've what, you, what your life's been through and, you know, what you've drawn from it. Um, I, t- I guess first off, it'd just be really good to give sort of, if you could give a bit of a background about what you do and who you are. Yeah, of course. No, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yes, um, yeah, my name is Greg Trout and I'm an inspirational speaker and also the director of kindness at the charity 52 Lives. Uh, so I, I go around different schools uh, giving motivational, inspirational talks and tools on dealing with anxiety and, uh, and the value of goal setting. Uh, and my work with 52 Lives as the Director of Kindness is I run workshops in primary schools, uh, educating children about the, the, the impact that their actions can have on the world, as well as their own physical and uh, mental health. So, and it's all about kindness and what kindness can do for us uh, as a society, but also uh, for our own well-being as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, what obviously what you've just said there, that's sort of our at Life on Time, our values um, and our aims and our mission are, is sort of in line with what, what, you're, what you talk about uh, and what you talk on. Um, I think what's really, really, I mean, getting get to the point is why, you, why did you get into this? I mean, obviously I, I know this, but the listeners don't, but just if, in, it's an inspirational story, but it'd be just really interesting if you could just talk through in detail, you know, what, how you got into into this and why you why you've gone down this line yeah of course uh yeah it was a it was definitely a a kind of career choice that uh wasn't planned out for me uh but yeah it all pretty much started uh, at age seven i was diagnosed with stage four uh wilms tumor uh so it's a form of cancer that predominantly affects children and it's a, a form of kidney cancer so with it being stage four i had tumor on my kidney i had tumors in my lungs my arteries so I had to have a lot of radio and chemotherapy to help me get through that. And back in the 80s, you know, that, that treatment wasn't advanced as advanced as it is now. And it kind of, they kind of had a blast me with all this, this treatment, as well as removal of my right kidney. Uh, and it left me with a few, few health issues. But I was so fortunate. I over, kind of came through that. Uh, led a pretty normal childhood. Uh, knew I, had a kind I mean, of just, I mean, that's, 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 um pretty intense start to your life at seven I'm just thinking my kids are nine and eleven and I mean you obviously did you feel like you know during that time how did you deal with it or is it a bit of a I guess it's probably a bit blurred memory is it yeah but you know what it it, it really was there's only certain aspects of it I remember I remember being sick a lot I remember spending a lot of time (laughs) I know yeah I remember spending a lot of time in (laughs) hospital uh and I remember uh after the operations because I remember being in a lot of pain but a lot of bits uh, I, 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 I can never tell if they're my actual memories or if it's just from talking about it and seeing photographs 
of me as a child. So, uh, but it was, yeah, it was something, you know, looking back, it was something that I think affected my parents more than it did me. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, you know, I was explained, it was explained to me that I had cancer, uh, but, you know, I, I basically, my mum and dad just said, you know what, you're going to be okay. You're going to have to go through this. And and I just got my head down and get on with it. But I, as you'll know as well, John, as, as a parent, oh my goodness, I, I don't. Oh know yeah, I, yeah. It's not even well, it's not even worth thinking about. To be fair, because we don't don't want to put our uh, parents into a state of uh, panic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not a uh, it's not a nice thought. As a, I think, as you said, like you know, I think as a kid they probably uh, you can sort of just get on with it, can't you? But as a parent, um, it's probably very difficult. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. I'll, I'll I'll talk a bit a bit more about that yeah. uh, later on. But it is it's, it's it's something that I've really come to have a renewed interest and respect for as well with what my parents have gone through. Now that I'm a father, uh, I can totally empathise with everything they've gone through. So when I think back to that time, I think, oh my goodness, that must have been so difficult for for both my mum and dad and my my big brother as well. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a pretty rough time for for the family. But you know, I, I kind of came through that, and my mum and dad never mollycoddled me or anything. They just got me back out there, and we didn't really talk about it. You know, it wasn't something that I, I dwelled upon or thought about very much. Uh, the only time I'd ever think about it is, you know, in the showers at school or anything, because I had a big scar where my kidney was removed, and I've got a few scars on my. My, my chest as well uh, so people might comment on it but it wasn't really uh something i, I thought about a, a great deal uh but everything was going well i'd, I'd you know when it was at university then suddenly things went a bit wrong again because at the age of 21 i was diagnosed with deep vein thrombosis which is a blood clot now the main vein that takes blood back to my heart had become blocked and i was doing a bit of kickboxing at the time and i came back and suddenly my my back was in agony and my left leg just swelled up and went blue. Uh, so I went to the hospital. They diagnosed the, this, this DVT. And it turns out that they think that was caused by the, the radiotherapy that I'd had as a child because my, my veins and my arteries had been damaged in my abdomen, making me more prone to blood clots and things like that. Wow. So that was that was a real shock. I remember going into hospital. I was in hospital for a few weeks for that. And it took them a couple of weeks to, to diagnose and figure out what was going on. Uh, and it, it was then because they said, you know, there's it, a possibility it could be cancer. Uh, it could be a, a tumor. And it was all these things kind of really kind of set it off in my head going, oh, my goodness, this is this is really serious. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of got through that, spent a few months on crutches. Uh, I have to take blood thing medication, uh, which helps thins my blood, which helps the blood gets back back to my body because the body is an amazing thing. Are you are you still on that now? Or I am. You... Yeah, I've, I'm still yeah. taking it. It's uh, yeah, it'd be 19 years since taking that. I take that every day. Uh, but you know, when my kidney was removed, my left sorry, kidney. Oh, sorry, that was my phone there. Uh, your Alexa in the it, background. It, it was yes. <laughs> Good at sometimes, annoying at others. Uh, but yeah, when my right kidney was removed, uh, my left kidney got bigger to compensate. And when my DVT happened, uh, the blood just found another route to get back to the heart. So now I've got these enlarged superficial veins on my left side and my abdomen. And that's how the blood get back gets back from my 
lower body up to my upper body. But it makes things like running and walking up hills and things like that very hard because the blood can't get back to my heart quick enough. So my legs swell up. Uh, so it can be challenging like that. But again, it's just something that I've learned to to live with. And uh, it doesn't really affect me too much because I know what my what my capacity is basically when I'm doing yeah. these sorts of exercises. Uh, but yes, I was studying geography at university at the time, uh, but then became a, I got a job as a crime scene investigator with the police in London. So again, just for any, if there's any students uh, listening, <laughs> don't worry too much if you don't know what you want to do with your life, because so many other doors will open. Because being a, a CSI was never something that I had planned for or envisaged that I would do in the future so yeah I spent nine years uh doing that working in West London uh but then things went a bit wrong again at the age of 30 I just turned 30 and probably for this in the space of about a year I'd progressively been becoming feeling more and more tired and I couldn't understand why this was uh, and I was speaking to my you know, friends and my friends at work and they were just going, oh, that's just how you feel when you're 30. And I thought, yeah, yeah, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. But if I feel like this when I'm 30, how am I going to feel when I'm 40? Because uh, I've literally got to a point where I was struggling to walk up the stairs. If I went shopping, I, I would have to factor in a couple of hours because by the time I'd walk down the hill to the shops and then walk back, I'd have to stop every you know, every five or 10 minutes because I was so exhausted. And I was going to and from the, the 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 doctors and it turns out that I had an iron deficiency. So they thought I might be anemic, uh, but things still weren't, you know, it just was going on and on. I was taking iron tablets. I wasn't feeling uh, any better. And that was my only symptom. And it wasn't until my hematologist said, you know what, we need to sort this out. Uh, so she ordered all these tests and one of them was a colonoscopy. So I had a camera at my backside uh, and they found a 10 centimeter tumor in my transverse colon. And I was diagnosed with stage two bowel cancer. Blimey. And I remember the day that I was diagnosed. I remember it so well. So you had was... no other symptoms? You didn't have any other symptoms with that? No other symptoms. Uh, I, the only sy- I had symptoms after my diagnosis in the form of blood in my stool. Yeah. Uh, but before that, uh, for the, that, that duration of a year, I had only, my only symptom was fatigue. Wow. Which, yeah. And so, of course, you know, no one was thinking bowel cancer. Uh, not not 30 years old. No, probably no, not. Yeah, no. it's pretty young. Uh, but I mean, you know, bowel cancer is one of these things that's becoming more and more uh, prominent. And uh, lots of young people are, are, you know, experiencing that now. So it's not just you have to be over 50. It's, you know, any any age from... 30 to your onwards uh but yeah there was nothing brave about my reaction when i was diagnosed i cried i almost passed out i i, I couldn't believe that this was happening again uh and it, it just it just couldn't couldn't quite sink in because you know the the doctors were telling me absolutely everything uh because the, the operation was going to be dangerous because they're going to have to remove about half of my bowel uh, and then have treatment after that and they said the operation would be dangerous because of my my enlarged veins and my abdomen and my on my side so they'd have a vascular team on standby they said the likelihood is i need a colostomy bag for life uh, there's a potential it could have spread all these things were going through my head 
And yeah, I, I just couldn't quite take it. And it was so interesting because, you know, being diagnosed as a, a child was a far different experience than being diagnosed as a as an adult. Because, you know, when I was little, uh, I asked my parents if I was going to die. And they said, no, we love you too much for that to happen. And apparently I never asked that question again. But when you're an adult, the doctors tell you absolutely everything. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, I'm not sure I want to hear all this. Uh, but of course, they have to tell you all of these things. But it is such a whirlwind. And I left that doctor's office and just thought, oh, my goodness, I, I, I can't believe what's just happened. Um, but, you know, what? I, I, I regrouped and thought, right, well, what, what can I do in the meantime? Because I knew I was having an operation in a month or so uh, to remove my uh, hopefully half of my bowel. And the, uh, and the treatment would come after that. So I wanted to make my body as, as strong as possible to, to cope with what was about to come. So I went to see a nutritional therapist. I learned all about nutrition and what was good for my body, you know, lowering my inflammation levels, getting my blood sugar stable, just looking for things that I could just enhance my own immune system. Uh, and I learned a little bit about visualization and, you know, dealing with the anxiety that, that was going to come. Uh, but it was it was a really interesting time because the doctors said uh, that, again, this may have been caused by as a side effect from the treatment I'd had as a child back in the 80s, because the, the tumor was found in the radiation field where it had, you know, all this radiotherapy. But there's no way I think that was a factor, but there was no way I looked after myself in my 20s uh, and certainly in my, my late teens. You know, I was binge drinking. I, uh, I was, you know, working in the police. So I was working shifts. I was eating fast food on the go. I wasn't particularly exercising very much uh, to get to more jobs throughout the day. I would dehydrate myself so I didn't have to stop for the toilet. Uh, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with uh, you know, the stress that came with the job because it's not the job that was stressful. It was my approach to the job that was stressful. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about a bit more about that later on. Uh, so all these things just weren't particularly good because I was already prone to getting cancer again because I'd had it, you know, once before. Yeah. But I, I definitely didn't look after myself in my 20s. Uh, so it, it, it was an interesting time. But, you know, I had the uh, the operation. So they moved about half of my bowel and fortunately just joined me back together. And again, the body just adapted and, and, and healed and, and, and that, you know, uh, repaired that. And then I had chemotherapy on top of that, which was stopped early because the side effects of the chemotherapy were becoming more severe than, you know, the actual cancer. So uh, they, they, they stopped it. And, you know, it's 10 years on now. So, you know, it, everything went to plan. But wow. I mean, just just so far, I mean, everybody else's reaction probably is, is the same when you tell this story. But it's just, oh, my God, you know, how... How can one person be so, you know, unfortunate, I guess, um, unfortunate and fortunate, I guess, at the same time to, to have it have cancer as badly as you had it twice. Yeah. And and which is unfortunate, but then actually to recover as you have done is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm and that's the thing as well, John, when I when I go and see new doctors and I have to fill out a new medical form and you put your pre-existing <laughs> medical conditions and I sound like a medical nightmare on paper. Uh, but, you know, and they'll say, oh, wow, you've been really unlucky, haven't you? And I've just turned it around now in that, I, I, you know what, I, I'm quite lucky, actually, that I've been through all that. And I feel very fortunate that I've been through that. But here I am. I'm still here and I'm, I'm still going. So 
uh, when I look at these things, I just think, wow, isn't it amazing what the body can go through and, uh, and, and, and still go on and, and lead a, a healthy and, and, and fulfilling life. Uh, so, you know, I was so fortunate. I kind of got through that part. But then the thing, something happened after that, which was, I can safely say for me personally, was worse than both of my cancers put together. And I don't say that lightly, John. Because uh, I was, you know, I, I was... don't know whether our listeners are ready for this. Is there, it's worse than what you just said. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's, uh... <laughs> Get ready, strap in, people. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was because uh, I'd, I'd been reading books uh, up up until you know when I was ill and stuff. People who had survived cancer and went on to lead these amazing lives, and people saying you know after going through that they never worried about anything ever again, and they didn't sweat the small stuff. All this, so I was ready for this kind of euphoric feeling after after finishing my treatment and and being told I had it all clear, but. The exact opposite happened. So instead of jumping for joy and singing the kind of joys of spring, I was, I was just gripped by this fear, uh, fear that cancer hadn't gone, fear that the cancer may come back. And I could not stop thinking about cancer. I, uh, cancer became my only thought. Uh, I thought about every second of the day. And as a result, I, I developed insomnia. So I just didn't sleep. I uh, then developed uh, severe eczema and psoriasis on my face and head and upper body just from the sheer stress that I was I was going through. Uh, and, I, and I think the worst part of this as well, John, was that I absolutely hated myself for feeling this way because I thought, you know, what, there's so many people that don't survive cancer. And here I am having survived not just once, but twice. And and I'm just miserable. I, I, I'm just I'm just worried all the time. And I couldn't break out of that cycle. I got to a point where I just didn't want to leave my house. When I went to work, I, I didn't want to leave the office because, uh, you know, I had, my, I had the eczema on my face and I'd lost a lot of weight. And people would comment on that in a, in a kind of, you know, in a kind, you know, worried kind of a way. But when they were commenting on it, I was almost thinking, wow, God, I must look really ill. I wonder if I am still ill. I wonder if the cancer's back. So it was just this kind of cycle. Like and a it, vicious circle, I guess, and and sleep. I mean, we've had some sleep people on previous podcasts, and I think obviously with anxiety um, comes tum- always tends to come maybe a lack of sleep, and then you know your mind can then end up playing tricks on you. And if you've had cancer before, then one of those obviously one of those things I guess that was just kept on popping up in your head was you know have I got it again? I guess. Yeah, I think from what I'd gone through as a as a child. Uh, and the fact that it had come back, because I think I grew up always thinking that my bad time in life was over, uh, something that my parents always told me. And so when it came back, it was like, hang on a minute, why has this happened again? But then when you go into, you know, the effects of cancer and treatment and all this, that's when you've really got to start nourishing your body and looking after yourself. And I didn't do any of that. And I don't think the awareness was there at the time either because now they're doing a lot of studies of the side effects of treatment, uh, specifically in children with cancer. Uh, Because it's a lot to go through when you're not fully developed and you're being exposed to all this toxicity in the body. Uh, There's so many things. So this treatment has uh, kind of damaged my body in various ways. So I have a a heart issue. So I have the heart of a 60 year old. Uh, I'm 40 now. Uh, but it's, you know, if there's any 60 year olds listening, I'm not dissing my 60 year old heart. It's keeping me going, still strong. 
uh, and I've got damaged lungs. Um, I struggle to put muscle and fat on my upper body because that radiotherapy has stripped uh, a lot of that tissue away. Uh, I have scoliosis as well, so my spine is curved. My hips kind of point one way and my, my chest points another way. Uh, people are wondering what I'm looking at. I can imagine they're just going, it's, it's, it's Quasimodo running around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's so, uh, you know, and the kidney and the, the bowel and things. So there's so many kind of aspects to the body. But ah, oh, the body is such an amazing thing and able to adapt to all of these things. So physically, it went through all that. But it was the mental side I, I really struggled with. Because when I was ill, I always believed I'd get better. But when I was better... I wasn't fully convinced that I was better or if I was going to stay better. Uh, and I was going through all this and it was only later I was diagnosed with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, PTSD. And John, I'm sure you are like me. The only thing I knew about PTSD was what I'd seen in, in movies about the war. War films, yeah. War films, soldiers coming war back documentaries, from... yeah. Exactly, exactly. Just stories of battle and war and these soldiers coming back and dealing with PTSD, I never associate it with, with, with surviving an illness, uh, which seems ridiculous now because it's all in the, all in the, the title, post-trauma. And yeah. cancer can be one of the most traumatic things that a person can ever go through in their life. Uh, so it kind of made sense that I was going, you know, there, there'd been some kind of mental aspect of, of, uh, of my illness. And, and so what it's I've almost... Been yeah, so I guess it's almost like with there needs to be, and I guess there is now, uh, because obviously that was 10 years ago, but, you know, the recovery stories that you hear from people who had cancer where they're so euphoric are probably just a bit of a red herring, really, where actually the majority of people that recover probably need to have some support mentally um, because they have been through a harrowing time and they're going to have anxieties about it coming back. Yeah, most definitely, because I think there's this perception of, you know, the worst time is when you're going through the treatment and the operations. And at that time, you get a lot of support from your friends and family. But when you've told you've got the all clear, that support, you know, fades away because people think, right, you're better now. So you're OK. But in a lot of cases, that support really needs to come after that because you're almost getting back to a new sense of normal. You've been through this kind of harrowing time and suddenly it's like, okay, you're all right now, crack on with life. Yeah. And it's not that easy for some people. And it certainly wasn't easy for me to have gone through that and then go, right, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just get on with life now. Uh, so, you know, to try and get through that, I tried all different forms of therapy, CBT, NLP, uh, healing, counseling. I, I tried so many different things. And some of those, uh, looking back, I just don't think I gave them the full attention that they needed. I remember some of my therapists telling me to go home and write things down and process it that way. And I never did that because I thought, what's the what's the point of writing things down? But was this did you have the therapy? You obviously had the therapy after you've been diagnosed. With uh, no, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, it was kind of, it was actually before that as well. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that helped me was uh, I went to see a counsellor with Macmillan and the counsellor, because I, 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 you know, I'm not part of any cancer groups or anything. I would never go, to, you know, I never went to a support group or 
anything like that. So I didn't really know that other people went through what I was going through. And she's the one who told me, she says, you know what? There's a lot of people that feel like you do. And at that time, that made me feel a bit better because suddenly I didn't feel like this complete weirdo uh, or, you know, uh, or anomaly. A, just... a bit, yeah, where everybody else is feeling happy because they haven't they got over it and you're you're the only one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, it, you know, looking back, I think there's, I could definitely have given these therapies the attention that they deserved. And, they've, they, you know, research has shown that they've helped countless number of people through what I've been through, but they weren't helping me at the time. So basically I, I became someone who didn't want to leave the house. I lost my smile. I just wasn't finding the joy in anything. And eventually my relationship at the time came to an end. Uh, you know, I wasn't the same person that I was before. Uh, it wasn't pretty much, wasn't much fun to be around. And it was then I just thought, you know what, I need to do something. I, 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 need, I need to get over this because it's just ruining my life now. Uh, I was struggling uh, with my work as well. I just, I just wasn't the person. I'd always been quite an optimistic and, and, and happy person. And I just wasn't that person. And I wanted him back so badly. Uh, so I, you know, when my relationship ended, I went to see my brother, uh, who's always been my hero. You know, he's traveled the world. He's ran across deserts, climbed mountains. He's done all these incredible things, things that I never dreamed that, that I could do. Uh, and he said, look, why don't, you, why, don't you go, why don't you go and do some traveling? Why don't you go and see a bit of the world? And he said, you've always wanted to do it. You've, what have you got to lose now? You've got nothing to lose. And he was right. I, I'd always wanted to do it, but I'd always been quite scared. He traveled around the world on his own. And I thought, oh, God, I can never do that. I, I, I'd have to go with friends or do something. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so I just thought, OK, well, right, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Now, about two weeks after this, I decided I was, I was going to go and see a bit of the world, I had my two-year checkup at hospital. And two years in a cancer diagnosis is quite a pivotal time. So uh, it's a, it's a, two years is a good sign that the cancer is not going to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was waiting in the oncology waiting room uh, at my hospital in UCH. And there was, the waiting room was full. There's never enough seats for people that, 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 that go there. And I found myself giving my seat up to people that clearly needed it more than I did. And I found myself sitting for the you know, standing for the best part of an hour, uh, waiting for my appointment. And I was looking at all these people coming and going, and I could see that they were going to get the news that I was going to that day. And I thought, you know, how great would it be if I could take these people on this trip with me around the world and show them that that that, that there's life after cancer, that 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 you can go and live a fulfilling life and do these things, uh, but also raise awareness of the psycholog psychological impact that come with cancer uh, and because there wasn't much out there at the time about it uh, so I thought well maybe I could do a, a website I'm a big Bear Grylls fan so I, I thought I could do videos of the places that I was going to <laughs> and kind of show people what, what, what it was going to be now I wanted this website to be uh, a positive place I didn't want to use any kind of t negative terminology like victim or sufferer I hate being regarded as, as, as a victim uh, I want when people look at me I want to see them to see the strong you know life-loving person so I, everything is all about bucket lists and you know 101 things to do before you die and I didn't want to use any yeah. of that stuff so I called my website 101 things to do when you survive and the idea was to spread hope and to to, to encourage others to live a, a full 
and and, and fulfilling life, you know. Uh, so I was going to make a list. I made a list of all the places that I wanted to go into the world. And that list was only 45 things long. <laughs> when, even before so I didn't get, off. So you didn't get to the 101 then? No, I came up with the name before I wrote the list. And 101 is actually quite a lot <laughs> of things. Four, four, 45 probably wouldn't have worked, would it? it wouldn't exactly, have 45 things to do when you drive. That sounds <laughs> rubbish. Uh, so I, I started, you know, I, basically, I, you know, I, I didn't have the money to go away at that time. So I moved out of my apartment. I moved in my brother and his wife for the best part of a year, saving for this trip and designing uh, you know, was deciding where I was going to go. I had a friend design my website uh, and I started writing to people to let them know what I was doing. Cancer Research UK, Macmillan. Uh, and, you know, just trying to get this going. And I was convinced that it was going to be my trip that was going to make me feel better. I was convinced that it was going to be, you know, ticking off this list of things that I wanted to do. Uh, that was going to make me feel happy. You know, Machu Picchu, tick, that'll make me happy. The Galapagos Islands, tick, that'll make me happy. But the most amazing thing happened in that year, because within a few months of deciding I was going on this trip, making a list, figuring out how I wanted my website to look and writing the content for that, uh, I started to feel better. Uh, I started then, after a month, I, I, a month or so, I started to sleep again. And then my skin started to clear up. So... Fast forward a year and I was already feeling better and I hadn't gone anywhere. I hadn't done anything on my list. And it was only later. Wow. So it was, I, just, just, it was almost just the fact that you'd sort of set yourself a, a plan and a target and a goal. That's it. Yeah. It was only later wow. I discovered the science behind it, whereby when we visualize ourselves succeeding in something and then proactively working towards it, it releases that bit of dopamine in the brain that goes through the body and it helps us feel good and it can be one of the first steps in alleviating anxiety or depression so even before I'd gone anywhere and if anything my life had got a little bit worse because I was now living with my brother uh, who I love but yeah I was sleeping in their office because uh, they didn't have a spare room and just yeah it I love him, but I, I don't want to live with him again. Uh, so, and it was just amazing, that power of the mind. And of course, I'd seen what the mind had done to me physically through, through the anxiety, through the stress, with the eczema, the psoriasis, the weight loss. And then just thinking positively, having these little goals, working towards them, and having these natural chemicals that are inside our bodies already go through my body and help just unlock that happiness. Because that's the thing about you know, being happy, it's already inside of us. It just needs some unlocking. And that could be unlocked through nutrition, through exercise, through, through, through community, uh, and, and, and through visualization, through just thinking differently and changing your mindset. So instead of, you know, worrying about the future, I was looking forward to the future. I was optimistic about it. So fast forward that year, and there I am at Heathrow Airport. And I must admit, John, I didn't want to go anymore. <laughs> I thought God. you'd you'd already by setting the goal you'd already sort of set yourself on a positive path. So actually, yeah, the thought of, did you go on your own? Is that what the plan I was? Did, yeah, I set off on my own, and I've got to admit, I was petrified. I was absolutely petrified because the primary goal of 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 this trip was to feel happy again. You know, the website, the, 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 the raising awareness of mental health and things that was secondary to my own well being. Um. And I just wanted to go away and feel good. Uh, 
Uh, and it's it's so interesting because by helping myself, I was able to help a lot of you know a lot more people in in the process. And uh, we have to look after ourselves. And they even tell you this on an airplane. You know, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. So this trip was my oxygen mask, and by putting it on, I was able to help a lot more people. So uh, at the airport, I was petrified. I thought I don't want to go anymore. But I'd made such a big song and dance about this trip you know i had a website i had sponsors now i got bear grills on us as, as a supporter so wow. uh I, you know i was like oh god right i have to go i have to do this and i and i set off on what turned out to be a a two-year trip around the world uh ticking off this this anti-bucket list as the the press called it and <laughs> the, the the press got hold of what i was doing and my my story was popping up in newspapers and on news channels all over the world uh, and there was a big, you know, th this just being honest about my experiences with mental health and survivorship uh, really seemed to inspire a lot of people. And there were a lot of people, you know, I received thousands of messages from people uh, who were all going through a similar thing. And like me, felt quite bad that they were feeling that the way they did. But it's a completely natural response to, to, to trauma, you know, whatever that trauma can be. You know, just because I've had cancer twice doesn't make it any worse than someone who's had cancer uh, once. It's all relative to that person. So anxiety about work, uh, the loss of a, a job, the break of a relationship, all of these things, if it affects you mentally, then it affects you. We all have mental health and that needs yeah. to be looked after. So, you know, as I was going, I was learning all these various things about nutrition, the body, how the mind and body are connected. Uh and I thought, you know, these things, you know, I was doing some amazing things. I sang on stage at the Sydney Opera House. I, I have I, just seen, actually. I wish I could unplay it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, they, they didn't invite me back, John. <laughs> they didn't invite me back after that. Uh, you know, I, I, I trekked across Patagonia. I cycled across an American state, climbed mountains, all these things I never dreamed I could do. Um, I did. But the interesting thing is, because as I was traveling, I was doing a lot of uh, charity work, uh, raising money for various charities and raising awareness. And I found I was getting more fulfillment and joy out of that than I was of ticking these things off my list. And again, it's something I, I didn't really understand at the time because I was there asking myself, going, right, well, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for other people? But then I just, you know, concluded that, well, it doesn't matter because everyone wins. So let's just keep doing it as it and it feels great. And again, that was something only later uh, from, you know, learning about the effects of our actions and specifically kindness. So kindness is an amazing, amazing thing. There are so many side effects that come with kindness because we know that being kind is the right thing to do. We are born being kind. Uh, but when you are kind, it affects so many things. It affects our, our social environment, our community. Uh, it just it helps others feel happy, helps other people out. But it doesn't just help other people. It actually helps ourselves as well. Through the release of all these amazing chemicals in the brain, uh, being kind can actually help, again, unlock the happiness. Uh, it can help us feel happy. And that is, again, thanks to these natural chemicals in the brain, dopamine, uh, and the endorphins that go through. And those, those, that 
those chemicals are released when you are kind or when someone is kind to you. Even if you see someone else being kind, these natural chemicals go through the body and it helps us feel good. Uh, and when that happens, a whole host of other chemicals, nitric oxide is released, which expands our blood vessels. So scientists have found that being kind and, and community is actually a cardioprotector. So it's actually good for your heart because this nitric oxide expands our blood vessels. Uh, the release of oxytocin, which is known as the love hormone, this helps suppress cortisol, which is uh, the stress hormone. Uh, so this oxytocin is released, giving this emotional warmth and it, and it helps slow down aging, it improves our immune system, slows down the aging of cells and actually helps us live longer. Researchers have found that, uh, you know, the people that live longest, uh, the number of centurions, they live in close knit communities where they're, they're kind, they're, they're there for each other. The release of oxytocin, the oxytocin levels are through the roof. Um, there's a great study, um, uh, which is, is, uh, I'm trying to think what it's called now, John. <laughs> Just a great study. Well, well, to be fair, you've you've definitely sold the kindness thing to me. I mean, you know, I was thinking of being horrible to somebody later, but I'm now going to be kind to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But the, um, but yeah, the, uh, I think that's why if we now try and replicate that or put that into today's situation with, you know, being in lockdown previously in the year and you know struggling where you aren't with people i guess people have struggled to be able to be kind because to be kind you almost need to be with people don't you i guess i mean well, i know you can do it outside with technology but to actually have that human interaction i guess probably enhances all of that well your thing is you know with covid i think it's just brought out the kindness in other people and you watch the news and you see things from children singing to uh, the, the the care home which was across the road uh, singing songs to cheer them up you've got joe wicks doing these amazing p yeah. lessons in the morning for absolutely free uh you know and all of these things and with our charity 52 lives we were able to help a lot of care homes and refuges and all these things and i think it's really and, you, and of course who can forget captain tom uh yeah. just absolutely amazing. just he'll be you know the real standout for 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 this what is what is for a lot of people quite a traumatic time uh, to go through all this. This is a global. It's definitely, change. it's definitely, yeah. I mean, it's definitely brought out um, kindness from all areas, isn't it? I think, um, I think it's just obviously I, I, for me personally, I feel like I the kindness that there's obviously lots of different types of it, but for me, it's actually like being around people, comforting them, talking to them being kind on a personal level i think I, what i've struggled with um is actually doing that on a doing that over the phone or doing that on zoom you don't necessarily get that i don't think people feel that but yeah i think i mean i've read books numerous books but anthony robbins what a self-help guru his um he used to one of his original books i mean one of this is one of his older ones but he used to say that you should give away i think it was 10 or 20 percent of your earnings um and your time to charity because it will make you feel better right yeah um, that's you know, great and so so you know it's 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 definitely something that's been out there for a while but we i don't know what it is like you said you you touched on it earlier that we're born kind and i think this is the key thing there is no um you know we are we're born kind and it's down to how we're brought up i guess that yeah you know and our circumstances that we then turn maybe not so kind but yeah, yeah it, incredible yeah, so it's it is it's really important. And in my work with Fifty Two Lives with the School of Kindness, is going in 
primary schools. We run free workshops for schools uh, and we run a kindness workshop. Uh, and basically that is just educating children about the, uh, uh, the, the effect of their actions, uh, the impact of their actions and how that their actions will have a significant impact on people that they don't even know about. That ripple effect of kindness spreads much further than you can ever imagine. And sadly, it's the same case with unkindness. You know, with meanness, behavior breeds behavior. So if you're mean to someone, it's going to bring them down, uh, potentially release these chemicals. Uh, and, you know, they might be unkind to someone else. And I always tell, you know, the children that if, if you know, that bully in the playground, uh, usually if they're being mean to you, it's not about you. It's about them. Something's gone on in their life. And that's where empathy comes in as well. If we can encourage empathy, where we can understand and share someone else's experiences, then that gives us the ability uh, to understand what someone else is going through. And then we're able to help that person. We know what to say. So all of these character skills, I think, just are so, so important for uh, for, for children growing up. And, and this is why I, I love what you're doing, John. Uh, with life on time is is you know you're helping promote that and and get that out there and helping teachers as well understand what their their children could be going through. Uh, so it's it's a fantastic thing. But there's so much to you know we need to spend as much time on our our actions, our mental health, as we do with our physical health. Yeah, I mean go, go, going back to I mean tracking back to your story. I mean we've hopefully got some teachers and parents listening to this. Um, but what I'm really intrigued about, and I think this is where the, you know, Life on Time and our platform, U, um, Life on Time and our platform UHQ, which will be coming out later on this year, um, which is a part goal setting uh, platform. Going back to obviously where, what you were saying, you know, the power of goal setting. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I do. I'm a bit of a, uh, avid goal setter myself and I just I, I couldn't live without them now um, and I just think it's just really really important and just going back you know how it, you know you you're you're living proof almost of you know how important they are yeah it is I think you just you've got to uh, you, you really have to have an idea of what you want from life and these goals don't have to be traveling around the world or uh, ticking off this ticking off that it can be just changing your daily habits you know, I'm going to eat healthily. Uh, I'm going to go and do a walk every day. I'm going to go for a run. Uh, I'm going to change what I do in the mornings. I'm not going to check my phone when I wake up. All of these little habits, these little goals that we set ourselves, again, just that, that you know, just setting those goals can trigger all the release of this and these amazing chemicals in the body. And then by going for them, and I always say to, to the children I speak to is, you know, don't put your happiness on the achievement of these goals. That journey towards that will open up so many different doors in the process. So you will learn so much more. So you might want to be here, but as you go towards that, you might think, actually, well, another opportunity has arisen here. I'll go there. Uh, and But you've got to be going somewhere. And I think this is where I struggled during with my PTSD is that I, I was dwelling on the past and I was worrying about the future. I hadn't set myself anything you know, I didn't prepare myself for coming out of treatments and going back to work and things like that. Uh, I, and I should have had a clear uh, structure of what I was going to do. Right. OK, now I'm going to I'm going to eat well. I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do with my life. This is the person I want to be. 
and going towards that. And I think just having that structure, having those goals to aim for uh, can just open up a whole new world for yourself. It's um, what, what you're talking about there, kindness and goal setting is actually part of where we formed our platform from, which is the ACT model, which is the acceptance commitment therapy model. Don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's, it's very, very, um, it's got some mindfulness in it, but the actual goal setting is based around the values. It's a values-based goal setting system. Okay. So you would set yourself values. So the, any listeners out there looking to set some goals and some values, first thing to do is set some values. Um, values are say something that you want to aspire to be like, or you want somebody maybe to think of you. So for example, let's use the word kindness. So that's a value. Um, so to be kind um, that could, and then you can set goals around that so this is something that our platform will be, enable users to be able to do is um, values based goal setting Brilliant. so would would actually really work with what obviously what you're trying to do there yeah. with uh, encouraging kids to be kind um, and not just kids I guess all of us um, because I think like you say behavior breeds behavior yeah um, yeah I mean we've got Obviously, we're going through a bit of a tough time still. I mean, I'm, we're obviously coming, hopefully coming out of the worst of it, or we've, we've come out of the worst of it. But we're now going into winter, and I believe, I feel like everybody's sort of, schools are back, everybody's dreading a second wave. Yeah. Is there any sort of hints and tips that you can give our listeners that you've taken from your experiences in your life um, of dealing with uncertainty of what, what they could do? Yeah, I, I, it's, you know, my, my, my life motto now is adapt and overcome. So just uh, adapting to the situation that we're in, uh, but also thinking positively about it uh, and dealing with this challenge. Uh, well, the, the, the issues that we're having as a challenge, as a kind of learning opportunity. And I think we, we, were, we were chatting the other day, actually, John, and you were telling me that you started this podcast during COVID. Yes. Didn't you? And would you have done that? Uh, as soon as you did without COVID? No, no. I mean, yeah, if you talk about the Life on Time project and, and what we're doing, yeah, I mean, we've, we're way ahead of where we would have been because I had definitely more time and there was uh, colleagues of mine um, had more time. So, yeah, we, and yeah, we've, we've sort of created something that was just a resource, hopefully helping, helping people out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how I'm very fortunate because I feel like I've actually out of the whole scenario. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I, I'm like you, I try to think of the optimistic side and I feel like I've been fairly fortunate with, with what's happened. I know a lot of people out there that have probably been a lot through a lot tougher time than I have. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, without COVID, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast now and I wouldn't, we wouldn't have the content that, that's on our, on our current platform as, as we have now. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's such an interesting thing when, when you go through these life challenges. Uh, and it's something I wished I'd thought more about when I was ill, because uh, I just kind of focused on the negativity. But when you think of the positives, the cancer, uh, PTSD has, has, has led me on the path that I am now. I wouldn't have met my wife having not gone through that. I wouldn't have had my little boy. I wouldn't have traveled the world. I wouldn't be doing a career that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy. Uh, so it's, really try and, and, and look at this 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 the issues that we're going through just as a challenge and then as you said have these little goals what do you want to achieve in this how, what can you make uh, how can you make the best out of this and usually that comes down to especially for teachers 
making this the best possible experience for the students and the pupils and being there for them. Uh, it, it's and just understanding what they're going through. And by doing that as well, you're going to help make yourself feel better because I, uh, helping others is, is just one of the best things that we can do as human beings. And I think that's just so important with, with any challenge, but just really change our mindsets to, to the positivity that will come out of this because this won't last forever. Nothing ever lasts forever. Uh, and we've just got to go uh, and, and think about those positive things and believe that they're going to happen and work towards that as well. Very good, very good. Okay, that's really great help. I mean, I know that you do workshops, so for our listeners out there, have you got um, any details on the workshops that you do? Yes, yes. So uh, and the website and the website address. I mean, I'll put this all on our website, but um, yeah, I think it'd be really good for for anybody who wants to get you in or get some help, more help and advice. Brilliant. Yes, I mean, my, uh, the hundred one things website is whenyousurvive.com. Uh, there's contact details as that as. Uh, there as well and uh, 52 lives which is 52 uh, hyphen lives dot uh, org uh, you can go there and the school of kindness dot org as well so uh, we've got lots of lesson plans and video lesson plans and various things uh, that you can get your class or or your community involved with as well as well as the free workshops so please do drop us a line and, and, and i'd love to come and visit you Cool. I mean, that's great. I mean, I believe hopefully this won't be the first, uh, the first and only podcast that we do uh, with Greg. Um, we also might might be looking to get Greg involved in some of our own workshops uh, as our our missions are very aligned. Um, so yeah, hopefully to catch up with you soon. Um, really great talking to you, uh, and and thanks for coming on. Great. No, thanks, John. Keep up the great work. Speak to you soon. Speak soon. Cheers now. You have been listening to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. For more information, please visit our website at lifeontime.co.uk.